Throughout this season of Advent and Christmas, we've been following a theme to our, our sermons, Home is Where the Heart Is, and using the assigned readings for each Sunday from the prophet Isaiah in the Old Testament. Today we conclude that series from this passage from Isaiah chapter 63. I will recount the steadfast love of the Lord, the praises of the Lord, according to all that the Lord has granted us and the great goodness to the house of Israel that he has granted them according to his compassion, according to the abundance of his steadfast love. For he said, surely they are my people, children who will not deal falsely. And he became their savior. In all their affliction, he was afflicted, and the angel of his presence saved them. In his love and in his pity, he redeemed them, he lifted them up and carried them all the days of old. But they rebelled and grieved his Holy Spirit. Therefore, he turned it to be their enemy and himself fought against them. And then he remembered the days of old of Moses and of his people where where is he who brought them up out of the sea with the shepherds of his flock? Where is he who put in the midst of them his Holy Spirit, who caused his glorious arm to go out at the right hand of Moses, who divided the waters before them to make for himself an everlasting name, who led them through the depths? Like a horse in the desert, they did not stumble. Like livestock that go down into the valley, the Spirit of the Lord gave them rest. So you led your people to make for yourself a glorious name. This is the word of the Lord, the basis for our meditation today. Well, we started out saying, which is it? Happy New Year or Merry Christmas? My wife reminded me that it's both. We've come to this moment in time where 2023 now stretches out in front of us. And for the purest among us, January 1st is only the seventh or the eighth day of Christmas, which I can't really figure out because I don't know which day to start counting on. The season doesn't officially end until January 6th which is uh, the day that the church has traditionally celebrated the coming of the wise men to worship this newborn king of the Jews, but we have to wait for that till, till next week. I was reminded as I was preparing the message this week that the month of January is named after the Roman god Janus. And according to Wikipedia, in ancient Roman religion and myth, Janus is the god of beginnings, gates, transitions, time, duality, doorways, passages, frames, and endings. Therefore, he has two faces, each looking in opposite directions. As I mentioned today, we finish our series, Home is Where the Heart Is, where Isaiah has brought to us vision after vision after vision of the future in order to try and shape our moment in time in the present. But today, Isaiah stands once again before us, only this time he's looking back. Isaiah is acting as what one commentator has called a remembrancer. 
That is, he, he's an agent of God. That's the one and only triune God, creator and sustainer of the universe. Isaiah acts as a remembrancer to bring to our remembrance who God is, what he has done, and what that means for us going forward into the new year. So here's what I'd like for you to roll around in your head this morning as we worship together and as you go home to talk about God remembers and forgets so that we can forget and remember. God remembers and forgets so that we can forget and remember. So let me start you out with this question. How's your memory? See, because I have to confess that most of my memories seem to be tied to pictures. And so when my mom asked me if I remember when I was little, when they used to take me and my older sister to visit grandma and grandpa on the farm, I honestly have to say that I'm not sure whether I actually remember or if I only remember the pictures of those days in our old family photo albums. Now, I grew up in a picture-taking family, and I became a picture-taker too, and it turns out that the new photo albums in this digital camera world are books like these that I create, especially after we've had a trip in order to capture and to hold the memories. And when you add to that services like Google Photos that I can stream up onto my TV and a continuous flow of images captured on cell phones from all of the members of the family that upload and update the latest happenings in our family and send me messages every day like this day, five or 14 or 20 years ago. I begin to fear that my memory is actually being stored on the cloud. So how about you? I, mean, I know people who have such vivid recollections that they can tell you stories that make you feel like you were there. Of course, not all the memories are good memories, trauma and pain and loss can get so burned into our brains that they keep us from functioning in healthy ways and so we have counselors and therapists who are trained to try and help us process such things and then there are corporate memories that that we share pivotal moments in time that change the course of history I can remember exactly where I was and what I was doing when President Kennedy was assassinated when the space shuttle Challenger exploded and when the planes crashed into the World Train Center personal and corporate memories are important business that we have to manage because those who don't remember history are often doomed to repeat it but those who can't forget a wrong that was done to them and bear a grudge are like the man who takes poison and waits for the other person to die God remembers and if you look at the passage in front of you, it all starts with his love. I'm going to look at it closely. Because this is a complete love without any remainder. God has held nothing back. All is the key word 
in this passage according to all that the Lord has granted. God is bountiful. God is abundant. His love is displayed in his actions, in his great goodness. Oh, and look carefully, it's a heart love, compassion, deep, personal, passionate, intimate. But I have to say that the love of God sometimes feels like a generic throwaway phrase. Because his love is so big and so expansive, it's hard to actually make it concrete, to, to make it tangible. Now, I'm, I'm a child of the 70s, and, and sometimes words from songs of that era pop into my head while I'm writing. And while I was working on this part of the message, it was Joni Mitchell and a 1969 hit called Both Sides, where she croons about clouds and love and life with the refrain, I've looked at love from both sides now, from give and take, and still somehow it's love's illusions, I recall. I really don't know love at all. Because you see, no matter how I might try as one of God's remembrancers to make God's love alive in your heart, to make it come alive in your life, it seems that we really don't know God's love at all. Because if we did, it would thoroughly and completely and daily transform us. Now look, you can search God's love, you can explore it from every side, from a lifetime and then for eternity, but you will never exhaust it, much less fully comprehend it. And still we must try and wrap our minds around it. I want you to look now at this verse because God in his love is always hoping for the best in us. Now, I read this in a marriage book, or maybe I heard it in a sermon. I can't actually remember which, but it's a line that stuck in my head that goes like this. Always believe the best instead of assuming the worst about your spouse. Because see, that's what I think God is doing in this verse. Having created us in his own image, God knows what we are actually capable of. And he believes the best about us. Surely my people, my children will not deal falsely. And yet he's not naive about the terrible twisted consequences of humanity's rebellion and all that it has wreaked on us. A movie all the way back from 1990 entitled Awakening is based on a book with that same title about the work of one Dr. Oliver Sacks. And Sachs was a, a British neurologist who wrote nonfiction books about his psychiatric and his neurological patients. If you're alive in 1990, maybe you remember this movie. 
But in the movie version, Sax's character called Dr. Sayers is played by Robin Williams, and he's treating a patient named Leonard who's played by the actor Robert De Niro, who had been a victim of a kind of encephalitis that had left him paralyzed and catatonic, his limbs contorted, and his face an empty mask. But Dr. Sayers believes that behind the blank eyes is a living soul. And so he studies and he thinks and he experiments with Leonard, hoping for a miracle of medicine. And then at the climax of the movie, it, it happens. Dr. Sayers gives Leonard an extra large dose of an experimental drug and he, and he falls asleep beside the bed waiting to see if there will be any improvement and then in the wee small hours of the day, of the morning, Sayers wakes up and he's startled to discover that Leonard, Leonard is gone. So searching the silent corridors of the hospital, he finds Leonard at a table in the recreational room and he tiptoes in and the two of them make eye contact and the doctor sits down at the table and Leonard offers a laborious smile and he whispers, it's quiet. And Dr. Sayers replies, it's late. Everyone is asleep. And then with a twinkle in his eye, Leonard replies, I'm not asleep. And the doctor agrees, no, Leonard, you are awake. Now, Leonard has been scratching his name on a paper with a crayon, and the doctor asks to see what is writing. And when he holds it up, he has that twinkle in his eye again, and he says, me. God's love is like that. God sees the real you behind the sometimes blank eyes and your contorted and twisted approach to life. And God is seeking even now through this sermon to awaken your hearts to the power of life in Christ. For you to remember and to discover your true identity, that you are a child of God. You are an heir of Christ in the new heaven and the new earth, which is the world put right. You are a royal priesthood. You've been redeemed, but not with gold or silver, but with the holy precious blood and the innocent suffering and death of Jesus, your Savior. God patiently longs for the lights to go on, for you to remember, for you to declare me. But it is God's action and God's love alone, without any merit or worthiness in us that rescues us, that redeems us, that reminds us of who we are. And to be honest, we don't much like that. In fact, it takes nothing less than the very presence of God. That's the Holy Spirit coming into us in order for us to come to grips with our ongoing rebellion and our utter helplessness to save ourselves. And yet, look at the verse. If we resist, if we reject, if we grieve the Holy Spirit, we actually become God's enemies. Now, God is sending his Holy Spirit into your life 
through the word, through your baptism, in and under the bread and wine of the meal that we're going to celebrate in just a few minutes, through the conversations about Jesus that you have with one another, through your prayers. Can we, have we grieved the Spirit? Sure. Just tune out this sermon and think about something else. Despise your baptism because after all, you were only a baby. You don't even remember it. Come to church occasionally. Take the Lord's Supper, the very body and blood of Jesus, as if somehow going through the motions is all God wants in your life. Spend little or no time talking about Jesus with someone who is behind you in the faith, who's trying to learn the faith from you or in front of you in the faith, who has something to teach you. Pray as if God is a genie in a bottle who comes out when you rub it to grant your wishes. Remembering in the Bible is more than simple recall. The Hebrew word contains the idea of a reenactment, of a reliving of God's story in the context of your life. And here are the whole books of Exodus and Numbers poetically expressed in three verses. God sends Moses to the descendants of Abraham hopelessly and helplessly trapped in slavery in Egypt and he leads them out. He parts the Red Sea. He brings them eventually into the promised land to give them rest. Once again, taking them through the waters, this time of the Jordan River. I would submit to you that this is your life reenacted, relived in this moment in time, trapped hopelessly and helplessly in sin and rebellion against God. God sends his only son who picks you up and carries you through the water of your baptism where he drowns your enemies. He drowns that broken, sinful nature, that ongoing desire that you have to rebel against him and to somehow try and save yourself. He will drown the, the world that begs you to leave your faith behind. He will drown the devil who stokes the fire of your rebellion and the taunts of this world to leave your faith. But God remembers and forgets so that we can forget and then remember. God remembers his inexhaustible, unchanging, steadfast love and forgets our sins on the cross of Jesus so that we can in this new year, forget our old natural fallen instinct to rebel and remember our true identity as sons and daughters of the one and only true triune creating and sustaining God of the universe. Look, Isaiah's job and mine and the purpose of our time in worship is to be a remembrancer. To remind you again that God remembers and forgets so that we can forget and remember. 
God chose a little group of people, Abraham's descendants, Israel, and he determined to love them with a steadfast love to make the, his presence known to them. Why? In order to set them apart for all of the world to, to see, in order to draw all of the nations to himself. And that's what he finally did through Jesus. In spite of their rebellion, in spite of their rejection. Now we are standing on the very edge of a new year. And mark my words that there is no barrier that can hinder God in his love from leading us toward home in the new heaven and the new earth where we will finally rest. Forget your rebellion, forget your sin, and remember your unchanging God and be renewed in your life of faith. Because in us, in this congregation, God is seeking to make for himself a glorious name. And a name... A name is a verbal container for the sum total of a person. God seeks to reveal his name, that is his total identity to the world. He is our savior. He has lifted us up. He has redeemed us. Yes, he disciplines us, but he abides in us continuously by his Holy Spirit. God wants his name to be known. Not because he is some sort of cosmic narcissist. Not because he craves man's honor and glory and praise as if he were lacking something that he needs from us. But because his steadfast love longs for humanity to wake up and to remember who we are to be whole and to be satisfied, to be ultimately restored to that for which we were created, which is only possible when his glorious name is known, his total identity known in the full biblical sense of knowing deeply and personally and intimately. God remembers and forgets so that we can forget and remember. Happy New Year. Amen.